What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 103 of the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. This week, we had another great conversation with Clint McCoy, who is a writer for North American Whitetail and a veterinarian. If you want more background on him, go back and listen to episode number 81 and then come back and listen to this one. We had him on there and we talked more about his history and how he got to where he's at today. And then on this episode, we're going to get into some rut strategy and um, among a lot of other things that we talked about. We talked about social media stuff. Um, we got into a lot of different topics. So it was a fun fun one for sure. I think you guys will enjoy it. But also keep in mind, we recorded this this past Tuesday. So it's about a week old, but a lot of the stuff we talked about will stand throughout the middle of this month. So before we get into it, though, don't forget about our partners for the podcast Grandpa Ray Outdoors specializes in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. They've got over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, so you're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for, whether that be fall or spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it, they've got it when it comes to food plotting. They were started in 2015, but John up there, who runs the place, has been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991, so he knows his stuff. They're not just about selling the products, so they're going to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. They're not about a fancy label or package either. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. We've used their seed blends on client properties in the past. We've, of course, used them on our own properties, and the results have always been as good as advertised. We've always been happy with their stuff. Even on a year like this year where it's been really dry, I had pretty good germination, as good as I could have hoped for out of everything that I planted from him. And some of the stuff, like some of Nate's stuff, some of the stuff I planted on client properties looks great, even though we didn't have a lot of a lot of rain this year. So that's why, you know, we partnered with him in the first place. That's why we're going to continue to do so. And if you want to check him out, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use the discount code RHOPODCAST. That's all lowercase, no space. And you'll get 5% off your order there. We're also a dealer for them, so you can come in and order stuff from me, and I'll save you some money on shipping. Our other partner for the podcast is Rodney Hawkins. If you guys are looking for your own piece of ground to manage and hunt, he's going to be the guy to talk to. He grew up hunting and fishing in southern Illinois, and he's now putting that love for the outdoors into selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. Now, Midwest Farm and Land isn't your average real estate company. They sold over $85 million worth of ground in 2022. With agents like Rodney all over Illinois, they're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them, on what may be available on the market, or even getting a piece of your property listed, you can contact Rodney directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. He's also got his own company called RG Outdoors. He's currently got products from Radix Hunting. He's got Tacticam trail cameras. He's got an all-natural scent and elimination product called Camo Dust. And he's getting new stuff all the time. So if you want to keep up with any of that, if you want to send them a message about the stuff that he has now, you can go to their Facebook page. That's RG Outdoors. You can email them rgoutdoors at yahoo.com. Or again, you can call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Don't forget to follow us on social media. That's at Ridge Hunter Outdoors, Facebook, and Instagram. We do have a private Facebook group called RHO Podcast Patrons where you guys get some input on the podcast. I'm going to do a giveaway coming up soon on that page, so make sure you go over there and join that. It's just a couple questions, and then just feel free to use it as a hunting group, whatever you guys got. Uh, share the deer you've been killing or the deer you haven't been seeing on there or whatever the products you're using that you like, all that kind of stuff. Feel free to share it in there. And then, you know, any input you have for the podcast as well. Our website is ridgehunteroutdoors.com. If you guys find anything on there you like, use the discount code RHOPOD. That's all uppercase, no space, and you'll get 10% off your entire order. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you follow us. Leave us a review. That really helps us out. It doesn't take much of your time. We're also on YouTube. That's Ridge Hunter Outdoors. We do have the Fall Pursuit Show 
Now we're on episode six, if I'm remembering right. That'll be out tomorrow, so make sure you stay tuned for that. We got Nate's buck on there. If you guys follow us on social media, you saw us post pictures of it. It was a cool hunt, and something really interesting happened that you guys are not going to want to miss. And we also post all the podcasts on the YouTube channel as well. So make sure you go over there, subscribe to that, like all the videos that you like, uh, comment. That stuff helps us out as well, and we appreciate everybody who's already done that. So with all that said, let's get into episode number 103 with Clint McCoy, Deer Hunter DVM. This is the Rich Hunter Outdoors podcast. All right, we got Clint McCoy back with us. We had him on before. I will put the episode he was on previously in the description, so you guys need to go back and listen to that. You'll get some background on him. Tonight, we're going to talk about some rut strategies, though, and we'll get into some other stuff as well. But, Clint, how's it going, man? I know we were talking a little bit here before we got started. We're both kind of battling colds from this weather. Oh, yeah, it's weird. Like, it never fails. It seems like we always get this, uh, you know, Indian summer about the first week of November and just kills us or at least does does me for in southern Illinois down here oh yeah <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm sick too but yep. I, I try to like muffle my cough in the tree stand <laughs> like yeah I actually have an I, I packed a neck gator today in my pocket even though it was like gonna be 80 yeah I actually would wad it up and just like cough into it <laughs> I had a hoodie in my backpack tonight me and Blake went and sat in a blind and I was like yeah probably not gonna need that tonight but I did use it for the coffin yeah yeah i don't know what i don't know what gives but it's weird man this warm weather has got every everybody on tilt you know everybody's worried about it and stuff like that but be patient nothing to worry about november 7th always a good day always a good day to be in a tree yeah we actually know a few guys that killed some bucks here today tonight actually several really have got a few down so they weren't where we were at but uh how did how did that turn out the other night the one you were tracking with your neighbor um, you know, uh, sh- I think his shoulder hit him, ah, um, yeah. not well, yeah. um, but he's got, yeah. Um, and you know, it was a, he hit him with an expandable, um, you know, and when you, when you're too far forward, you'd rather be too far back to too far forward with an expandable. Yeah, I agree. And, um, a hundred percent of the time, uh, you, you ask anybody that tracks with dog yeah. and they'll tell you the same thing. And man, when you get up into that shoulder tissue, that hard bone and the anatomy that's there, the triceps and the, you know, scapula and the humerus and everything, boy, it really, it takes a lot of force to go through there. And, and when one of those expandables burn a lot of energy going through that tissue, they just don't penetrate as well up front. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I always kind of said, like, I think if you're going to miss with a expandable, you definitely want You're better off missing back. If you're shooting a, a fixed blade, you're better off missing forwards, but they 100%. definitely both have their benefits and, and pros and cons, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. Yeah, I kind of have a mixed bag in my quiver. Like, I like a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I've got, you know, some some really tried and true Tano Point, um, you know, fixed blade heads that are, that are good. If I if I feel like I'm going to get a tight shot, it might be a quartering shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put one of those on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if I feel like I'm going to get a nice flat broadside or something like that, um, there I'm, you know, not as not as high. Right. Um, I like a, I like a less, less of an angle if I'm using an expandable. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and you know, I, I just like to mix it up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's definitely benefits to using any different kind, but you know, you're talking about this warm weather and just being patient. We were talking about it earlier too. Like this is the time of year where even though it's hot, you still got to be out there because they're, they might be moving at noon. They might be moving at one. They might be moving at midnight, but you just never know right now. Yeah. You got to get sea time in. Like it's, it's a war of attrition right now. Like from, you know, from about the seventh on, I, I, I feel like the seventh is my favorite day to hunt. Yeah. And I actually saw this morning, this morning was banger. Like it was, I saw for the very first time in three years of hunting this deer, I saw him from the tree stand for the first time and, really? and yeah, I'm all in on him. He's a giant and yeah. you know, you, you spend so much time work it, it was almost surreal, like, oh, my gosh, I finally see him. And he's, like, 60 yards. And I didn't have, you know, it was way too far to shoot. I, I did get some good video of him. Mm-hmm. But it just tells me the process is working, right. you know. Um, but, you know, it's just about logging hours, logging seat time. And, yeah. and they're they're vulnerable as hell right now. You know, they're yep. – I don't feel like the – I don't know about you guys and what you're seeing, but I still don't feel like the does are ultra-receptive yet, and they're not going to be for another handful of days. Right. Um, especially with warmer temps. And, yeah, they might be receptive a little bit, but those bucks that I saw this morning – and, and you guys chime in too, they were seeking. Yeah. They, they were walking, checking doe bedding. That's what they were doing. And um, I saw four different bucks, um, a couple three-year-olds, the big one, and then a little uh, younger buck. But they were all doing the same thing, out zombie walking, yep. checking checking doe bedding. I've had several young bucks on camera doing that. And I know, Blake, you, you and Nate saw some younger bucks doing that as well. Yeah, we've seen three yesterday that was out doing that, two in the morning and one in the afternoon. Yeah, and I, I think you're right on the, the dates. I think, you know, a lot of guys up, especially from Iowa, north of us, will talk about, like, this time of year being the best. And like you're saying, like, the 7th is definitely one of the greatest days. But as far as, like, the does being receptive, I think we're just maybe a day or two behind. And, like, yep. the closer we get to Veterans Day, I think we see more of the, yeah, the so traditional Veterans rut Day, action. Totally agree. Veterans Day is my number two. Yeah. Um, yep. like num- number one is the 7th just because I've had – really good historical luck yep. and I've taken yep. multiple bucks on that day. Um, and then veteran day veterans day is when it seems like I see the most, um, or at least in the history that I've had like the most uh, full bore. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're in the rut now. Like yep. it's full blast. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what I've seen too. And that's why like, to me, my favorite days are right around there, like 10th to 13th. But you know, we talked about, I think maybe on the last podcast, um, when you get to this time of year, like any time between the first and the let's say the even the twentieth that you can get a cold front moving through, that's oh, gonna yeah. that's gonna be probably the best days, right? I totally agree. I mean, it, if you look at statistical prevalence and like telemetry data um, <laughs> from, like I, I like to quote Dr. Bronson Strickland out of Mississippi State, yeah, and the Deer Lab down there, they have some phenomenal studies, and there there's some from Penn State. Uh, there's some labs down in Texas, but long and short of it, um, you can correlate deer movement with ambient temperature. Um, yeah. And if you think about it, we see this a lot in, you know, as a veterinarian on the vet side of things, I saw this a lot in, in dairy cattle growing up on dairy farm. Yeah. When it was when it was 105 heat index, 
the heifers that we had wouldn't show cycling receptivity in their estrus cycle Mm -hmm. until the nighttime when it would cool off. Yeah, they were still in, but you couldn't, as a man, sit back on a fence post and go, oh, yep, that heifer's in, because they're miserable. They're just laying around, and I feel like the does are that way right now, too. If you think about it, these does right now are the fattest they're going to be all year long, right? So their body mass is big. And they've got their winter coat on. So you combine those two with a bright, sunshiny, 80-degree day like we're going to have tomorrow, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be up stirring around. They're going to be on their bellies in the shade. Yeah, I mean, you, um, th- you think about it. You go and put on a coat or warm enough clothes that you can lay on snow and not melt it and then yeah. go outside when it's 80 degrees and tell me you're going to want to run around. <laughs> right. Like it is, it, thermodyn- simple laws of thermodynamics tell yeah. you that Yep. Yeah, these does are just going to be on their bellies. So, you know, when it comes to to strategy, you know, and you can outthink yourself this time of year. Yeah. Like, yep. just go. For, for A number one takeaway from the podcast, just go. Yep, absolutely. Just for right now, just go. But if you're going to slide a little bit of, of, like, strategy in there on it, I'm trying to get on the downwind side of doe bedding right now yep. um and, and hopefully in in a travel corridor in, you know if there's some terrain feature or a funnel or whatever either or but yep. i definitely want to have some proximity to doe bedding and on the flip side of that like with the heat this last couple of days i've actually tried to get into some doe bedding that catches a lot of evening um like a lot of late afternoon and evening shade lines mm-hmm um, and down a little bit lower, maybe there's a creek bottom there or some, a water source. A little bit of both, but boy, it's so it was so still and so dry this evening that I I literally was walking around in bare feet, yeah. um, like <laughs> right. trying not to make trying not to make any noise. Right. Um, it is miserable trying to to get in tight on them like this, but you just got to try your best. But yeah. doe bedding is where it's at. Yeah, I think so too, and that's <laughs> where we've seen or where I've seen the bucks kind of moving is they're hitting those downwind sides of the bedding areas the last cold morning we had uh i think it was maybe the third or the fourth anyway i went and sat a morning and i watched a three and a half year old buck or two and a half two and a half or three and a half year old buck and literally he cruised the whole property just like i would hope they would check i can see a long ways on that property check downwind side of two doe bedding areas that i know are there and then ran a fence line going towards another one. So, I mean, he was just hitting the downwind sides of those, and that's what he was doing. Now, the mature bucks maybe not doing it quite as uh, obviously, or I don't know how better way to put that, that he was, but they're still going to be doing it. Like, that that's natural to them uh, to, to do that kind of thing, looking for those first does right now. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I saw this morning, too. And the, excuse me, the... Uh, that, that target bucket I'm on, he was definitely staying secluded. You know, mm-hmm. he he was not walking around in a wide open field. Right. But he, he was definitely, he, he like you said, every buck that I saw this morning, they were, and it's such an important strategy that I think guys miss out on is, you know, everybody's, you hear all these podcasts about, hey, find where the buck beds, find where the buck beds. Mm-hmm. Eh, fine. But right now, yeah. Right. You need to know equally. Fifty percent of your knowledge base needs to be where are your does bedding, and does tend to congregate mm-hmm. in larger groups. 
and they tend to they tend to bed in the same spots year after yep. year. Yep. It's so repeatable, it's ridiculous. And yep. Yep. if you can map out doe bedding on on your hunting properties and then get an eyeball idea of how does wind flow through there mm-hmm. and maybe find some scrapes in the perimeter of that. Not these edge scrapes, but I'm talking interior yep. deep woods, you know, big community scrapes yep. along the downwind edge of that. Boy, th- that's a recipe for a slam job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we actually had a really good conversation with Steve Shirk about the doe bedding and not just finding, you know, even, I guess, more in-depth than finding where they're bedding is finding the doe bedding areas. And like you're talking about there, like where's the buck sign around the doe bedding? So like not oh, necessarily yeah. where he beds, but if you have, let's say, a property or a couple properties where you know there are different doe family groups and you know where they're bedding, if one of them has buck sign around it and the other one doesn't, then it's probably a good indicator that the bucks know those does are closer to coming in or maybe historically they come in sooner than the other ones. And that can be like what you're saying with that community scrape close to that bedding, just dynamite this time of year. Yeah, and Steve knows his – Steve hunts some rugged terrain oh, yeah. out there in PA, yes. son. Yes. Like, he, he is a hell of a woodsman. and Great dude. You know, I, yeah, he is. And, you know, I grew up on the prairie here in southeastern Illinois. Mm-hmm. If you were to drop me in where Steve hunts, I would probably <laughs> not make it back home. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yep. so he – but he, he is a master at following those big woods deer. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, absolutely. He always learn something from somebody. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's cool how many how much of that stuff does translate as well. Sure, I mean it's uh, like you said, you can always learn something from somebody, no matter where they're hunting, because ultimately they are still deer. They do have their differences, and where they live is different, and some certain ways they move might be, but especially when it comes to the rut, they're all looking to do the same thing. That's right. Either fight or you know what. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're looking to do one or the other. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's what we're open to capitalize on. And like you're talking about, it's just it's getting out there right now. I mean, there's been days in the past where I have not sat on warmer days in the rut because I didn't want to get that get out there. And then that's the day that my shooter walked by. You know, you know, I did yesterday. I totally went in the morning, and so I don't know if you guys are decoy guys or not, but you can pick a fight right now. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I got in super early on a field edge set where I know this really nice, uh, just nice mainframe, mid-60s 10-pointer. Mm-hmm. He'd been cruising up and down it in between two patches of doe bedding cover, and I'm like, I'm going to punch his tag. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, think I, can, I think I can smash him. Yeah. So I went in during the middle of the day, the day before, and put a decoy out and hung a set. And I went in in the super early in the dark, got yeah. up in the tree, and the moon was out enough to where I could see. And like ten minutes before legal light, here he comes. Of course. And I can see him through the rangefinder, and like he, you can tell he's sidestepping, like he's yep. getting ready to throw fists. Yep. And I'm like, just give me a second, will you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. And, and I am not gonna lie. Like I'll tell the honest to God truth. I wasn't going to shoot him because I knew it was not legal, right. but I drew it back just to see if I could see through the peep to uh-huh. give me an idea on, like, <laughs> yep. okay, like, when's legal time? And, yep. and there was absolutely no way. I could see my pen, but right. when I squinted my eye through the peep site, it was black as night. And I'm like, it's not going to work. That, right. 
and he gets up there and he's sidestepping and he even snort wheezes and you can see him pawing the ground through oh, the man. rangefinder. I'm like, dude, give me a minute. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Finally uh, he smells a rat and he jets. Yep. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I if just that'd have been, if it'd have been ten yeah, minutes. Ten minutes later. That would have been I'd have hammered it. Like, been, he was at ten yards. Oh, that's so awesome. And to come in like <laughs> that too and get to watch him and man. That's what you do it he for was, right there. He, oh yeah, he was ready to throw fists. Yeah, uh, I, I'm at least I was like, please just hit the thing so I can get a good laugh out of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and no, no, he winded it. He 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 back checked it. He he walked it in where like he, he checked my sit trail and everything. Once he kind of come out of his like coma, like oh my gosh, something's not right here. And then he jetted. I'm like, yep. shit. Now <laughs> is this going to work again or not? The answer is probably not. Right. Yep. Yeah, gig's probably up on him. Yeah, probably. Gosh, it's so frustrating. And that that's a, a thing a guy can do now to really up the odds. I, I feel like when they're in this seeking phase, when when does are not in, like there's not a whole pile of does helter-skelter all over the country. When they're in this seeking phase, I'm going to doe bedding and or I'm going to a field edge with a fake and, right. and see if I can't pick a fight. Yeah, yeah. I've... I've done it before and just not had the bucks come out, but I love the idea of because I had I have some spots that are they're set up they set up really well for decoying, and a deer can come out I mean several hundred yards across the field and be able to see where the decoy's at, and I think you can pull them right now like you're saying. Oh yeah, you can snore wheeze them, you can grunt them and rattle them like the whole bag of tricks. Yep. For all the gimmicks out of man. Yep, and it's a cool experience too, like just the, it's wild. It's a different when you way to get hunt one. When you get one up in your wheelhouse, I I shot one. I shot a, my best non-typical buck. I shot him over a decoy, and and I I kind of knew he was, a you know he was a tough customer. Like mm-hmm. the year before, he was all busted up in the winter time, right. and I'd seen him a couple times in the summer, and he would even posture and like doze and fawns, like pin his ears back. I'm like, this guy's got kind of an attitude problem. Yep. yep. And he's got some scars on his neck, and I went in with the fake out of, you know, about this, it was on November the 3rd, right? It was, you know, this first week when he was seeking, and he come out of the corn, saw it, and I hooked him right in. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it's especially on those kind of bucks, because even calling, you know, if you know that there's a buck that's a fighter, man, that grunt call or that snort wheeze can get him fired up. And there are, there are deer that are the opposite way, too. Like, some deer just are not fighters by nature and as soon as you grunt at them and they're going to turn and go the other way but if you can get the right one this time of year man and it's yeah it, it part of that's profile like i call it profiling yep. right like yep. you watch these i love these fbi true crime guys right with mm-hmm. these documentaries where they're like profiling serial killers and they sit back and they study these guys and they know exactly what he's going to do when he's going to do it and why he's doing it right yep I try. I like to try and take the same approach to these bucks when we're watching them in the summer, and you know, just get an idea what kind of guy you're dealing with. Yep. You know, and I've got this great big wide eight pointer right now. We call him the fridge. He's a great big fat bodied rascal, and he's got an eye gouged out. Like he is. Oh man. He's. He's the same way. You need to get him on that side so he can't see you. (laughs) I would love to have him come in with his left side broadside at me. (laughs) Uh, 
Because I'd be like, okay, I'm good. I'll, yeah. I'll, for, he can't <laughs> yeah. see me. Just wave We're downwind. <laughs> yeah. I'm just mash him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's knowing your subject. Um, yeah. And you know, in 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 the opposite, I've worked on bucks before that are like super loners, and they just want to kind of be left alone. Mm-hmm. Like they don't. They're always the last in the field. They don't pick fights. Right. They, they, they're just something about them that they're, I don't want to call them shy, but you know what I mean? They're they're just really reserved individuals. Yep. And, and I think every mature buck that we deal with, I I think they're just like people they're in in a way in that they have their own different quirks and different, um, traits, personalities, whatever you want to call it. And, And if you can identify just a few of those. Um, you, you got more ammunition to throw at him then. Yeah, no doubt. That could be the difference in killing him and not. And, it, you know, especially throughout October, but even this time of year, because, you know, it, it might give you an idea of where you need to set up on that deer based on how aggressive he's going to be with other bucks, how aggressive he's going to be towards, you know, even just chasing other does. Like there are certain bucks that you just don't see him running does like you do other deer. I mean, and that could be Oh, yeah. yeah I shot one. set up. I shot one, excuse me, I shot one, oh, it's probably been 10 years ago or so by now, um, that he was, it was the peak of the rut. It was, it was Veterans Day mm-hmm. and he was totally all by himself. He got up out of a bed and, and was walking down the field edge and hooked right into me and he just acted like he could give a damn. Right. And, and he was kind of always that way. You would never, I never once saw him like running hardcore and, and there were does in there that day being chased by three-year-olds. So right. on the flip side, I shot one just a handful of years ago that was, we aged him with uh, deer, deer age at uh, deer lab or whatever they call it, yep. you know, the mail-in service. Yep. And um, he was nine and a half years old and this thing would run does all over the countryside still at his age. Right. right. So you just never, you never know nothing. The only rule with these things are there is no rule. Yeah, there, there, exactly. There's no common theme. Yep. It's all different. Yeah. And I think I've heard, I think maybe Bill Winkie's the one that was talking about it, but he'd mentioned like a lot of the times you talk about deer that are more naturally nocturnal or more daylight and why more than mature bucks, it seems like they're nocturnal. Well, it may be that those bucks are just, have always kind of been more nocturnal and the ones that are more daylight active get killed at two and three years old and they never make it to four five and six because they were generally more daylight active. Like that's just kind of their personality again, for lack of a better term. Whereas the ones that are more likely to move at night, they're not as likely to get shot. So they make it to that older age. So that, that could be a reason to why they move. more. I, at I night. think that's one factor in that yeah. behavioral profile too. Yeah. Is, is there daylight tendencies? Yep. Um, I shot a buck a couple years ago. We called him wild side. He was a great big kind of non-typical dude. And mm-hmm. he, for his size and age, um, and, and like his quote unquote dominance, or at least what you would think, um, he was so nonchalant about being in open in daylight. Mm-hmm. Like he, it, it was just mind boggling that he was so outwardly visible during daylight. And I'm like, this, I've got a hell of a chance at shooting this buck. Like he right. doesn't care. Right. Um, but then on the flip side, we've seen other bucks that literally we have several hundred trail camera photos over several years worth. 
mm-hmm. here on the family farm, and we only have maybe 20 photos total of him in daylight. The rest is all middle-of-the-night vampire shit. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's where that buck I was talking about checking those doe bedding areas. He's such a pretty young deer, but he's been all over that farm in the daylight, and I just know here in about 10 days he's going to die. Like I'm just, I'm just convinced that he's gonna. Somebody's be gonna put the boots to him. <laughs> yes, yes. I just know it's he's too pretty of a deer, and he's too daylight active right now, and he's just he's all over the place. I would love for him to make it, but I have no hope for him. When the orange it's army cool comes to... out, he's in trouble. Yeah, but you know what? On the flip side of that, though, he could be some kid's first deer, you oh, know, yeah, like, yeah. I got no problem with someone shooting him, you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's the luck of the draw though, man. If he makes it through, he makes it through. If he doesn't tag him up and get him on the meat pole. That's right. That's right. I actually saw uh, your Instagram post from today talking kind of about that. And man, we talk about that so much. They're like, man, just generally being happy for other hunters. Like when they have success, dude, it's so good. Yeah. Like why? <laughs> Why be a jerk? Be the, why be a? Why take that moment away from somebody? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and I'll be I'll be the first to admit when I was in you know my late twenties, I probably was a jerk, right. you know. Right. But now that I'm a forty four year old dad, like I, you're right. Like your perspective you, changes. You tend, for sure. Yeah, it does, and you grow, yep. and you learn, and you develop, and you you get more comfortable in your own skill set mm-hmm. and, and it's not always about competing with other people. It's just doing your own thing. And yeah. what, what it, I've, it's really cool. Like I don't, I don't know 80% of the people that reach out to me. Like, like I don't know them personally, right. Um, just through social media and they'll send me like on their best day or, or you know, mm-hmm. they will think about, Hey, maybe I should send this client. Right. And maybe he might like to see a photo of it. And they'll send me a photo of their kid's first deer or their number one target buck that they whacked. And, and it, like, that really is cool to me because, like, why are you thinking about sending – like, I like it when you're sharing and stuff like that with me. Right. Like, why not pump each other up instead of being a jerk on social media, exactly. right? Like, yep. it's so, such a negative undertone in hunting and i think the people that are negative i'm just gonna call it like it is the people that are so negative on social media they don't have the skill set necessary to be confident in their own abilities yep and so all they want to do is just te- tear people down why would you why would you tear a kid's uh two-year-old buck down exactly right yeah yep and it's, like that's a good way to get punched in the mouth around here. <laughs> it, yeah and it should be like that Unfortunately, you know, that's with social media with everything. Like it gives those kind of people a platform with no consequence. So they do, they can be just run their mouth. Yeah. And there's, yeah. And like, like, why would you take somebody's moment away from them? Maybe it's the best deer they've ever shot. Maybe it's the best day they've ever had in their life. Right. Maybe they were with their granddad and maybe their granddad is is sick with cancer. Like there's so many things that, you don't know about that person's story. Don't take it away from him. Yeah. Congratulate him. Pat him on the back, man. God makes more deer every single year. Exactly. Don't get, don't get all flipped out over one, you know? Yep. That's where I've probably grown even in the last, I don't know, five, six years is like when someone shoots a deer that I've been hunting or if there's a place that I know I could hunt, but someone else is 
already hunting there or even like a situation I have recently, it's like, it's man, it's just a deer. I'm not going to piss somebody off over it. You know what I mean? Like, there's more of them out there. I got more that I can hunt. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be that guy. Yeah. And I didn't used to, I'm same now, but I didn't used to be that way. I've right. learned and I've changed and I've grown. Like I used to be cramming down your throat, right? you know, like go, go, go all the time. And that's not the way to be like, mm-hmm. and I have to learn it. But now that I've learned and, and grown as a sportsman, if you want to call it that, then you try and pass it on and, yep. and teach kids the right way. You know, because I didn't have much of, I didn't have a, a mentor or a teacher girl. I just had to learn this myself. Yep. And now that I've kind of like, I feel like I've learned enough to be able to pass it on judiciously. Right. Um, you know, it's cool to be able to, to teach some kid the right way right out the gate. Yeah. And I think there's, we have a responsibility to do that as, you know, with the platforms that we do have, you know, where whatever our platform yeah. may be and your platform, you know, as a writer, and with your your presence on social media and, and whatever else you have going on, like I feel like there is a responsibility we have to to show the younger generation that's coming up to hunt how to do things the right way, and that it can be done the right way, and that you can be happy for other people when they kill deer and still have success yourself, and you know it, it can be done. Yeah, and it it can be as simple as picking up a piece of trash right that you mm-hmm. find in the woods, and you know, we would all be liars if we would say, well, we never left trash in the woods. Sometimes right. we do it by accident. Yeah. Something oh, might yeah. fall out of our pocket or our pack or whatever. But if we walk by something that's been there for, you know, the days of beer cans when they had like the old pull tabs, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. If it's been there longer than I've been alive and I'm 44, I'm going to bend over and pick that thing up. Right. And when I do that in front of a kid, I don't say anything. Right. I just do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I think through our, not only through our platforms, but our, through our actions Absolutely. in the woods, yep. when no one else is looking, mm-hmm. it, it can rub off yep. and it can bring you, like, I feel like the woods when, when you take care of the woods, she'll take care of you, right? Yep, like, yep. when you just do some good for her, one of these days she's going to send you a giant. Karma's real. <laughs> Karma is real in the yep. wilderness. Yep, absolutely. And it's not, you know, and it's something, too, like, not just talking about or posting the success you've had and, and you know, being grateful for when you do kill the deer, but also, like, grace and failure and when you screw up and when things don't go right, like, I think just being real and being honest, yeah, being honest about that side of it is a big thing that we can do too. That's a that's a great point, and and you know, I I feel like there's a lot of of folks, quote unquote, in the industry, and I hate using that term because I guess maybe I am in the industry, but I I I think they're really really good hunters, but I think they're really good about showcasing the good side. Yep but they don't show the times they got it wrong. Yeah. yeah. And nobody's perfect. And if, if you show only the kill shots and you don't show the misses or the flub ups mm-hmm. or the, even the comedy of errors, right? Oh yeah. If, just, just be normal. <laughs> exactly. Like, yep. Just be normal. Yeah. Cause like if you do it long enough, you know, you're messing up. Like if you hunt long enough, you're going to hit one bad. You're going to miss one. You're going to do something stupid that you look back and think, man, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I would have killed that deer. Like everybody does it. Everybody does it. Yep. That <laughs> This has gone in a complete different direction than I had in mind, but it's good. <laughs> I like it. 
Where um, else are we going? Yeah, I, Blake has. <laughs> we're going to get into actually a little bit of kind of deer anatomy stuff because you know he was okay. talking about you with being a veterinarian and all that, and he had a couple yeah. questions that he wanted to ask. Shoot. Yeah. Um. I'm going to hit a big topic. Um. What's your opinion on no man's land? I have an opinion on it, and I think it's non-existent. It's just, just excuse because people hit high, and they don't realize how far, low that spine actually is. Yep. Uh, my opinion is there is no opinion. It's science. And no man's land is a myth, just like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. It does <laughs> not you. exist. <laughs> Thank you. It doesn't exist. Look, it doesn't exist. Right. And anyone that tells you it does has never set foot in a veterinary anatomy classroom. Mm-hmm. I had, <laughs> as a freshman vet student, I had two 16-week semesters in anatomy. Right? Mm-hmm. small animal like dogs and cats first semester large animal cattle horses pigs sheep goats mm-hmm. uh second semester so 32 weeks worth of anatomy mm-hmm. i can verify there is no such thing as no man's land the 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 uh the lung field itself if you inflate the lungs and that's part of the problem mm-hmm. it is most of the folks that are claiming a no man's land shot have never looked at lungs that are inflated inside the rib cage, inside yeah. the thorax. Yeah, they, they I, think there's a space between the lungs and the spine, and they obviously don't know how true. we work because if when we breathe in, our chest cavity goes out just just like a deer would. Yep that that is that is a hundred. You're right on point with that. So, there, if you hit below the spine, you are hitting lung tissue. You mm-hmm. will. You'll hit lung tissue downside. It's a high entry, high exit, mm-hmm. so you're not going to get much of a blood trail. Nope. And there are multiple lobes to your lungs, mm-hmm. so you might collapse one lobe. Right. But you've still got some. You've you've still got an engine. Right. Yep. You know, you just may be down a cylinder, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. On a on a on a uh, analogy standpoint, but you can still hit high lung and that animal still survive. It's just got to be super high. So the the next step is whack him in the spine. Well, then he drops right um, in his tracks most of the time. Mm -hmm. And then the next step is you're hitting above that spine. Um, You know, you're hitting meat, Mm -hmm. you're hitting, you're hitting dorsal above the spine. And so, but no, there is no man. There is no such thing. Yeah, and I think part of that is too, like you're talking about what maybe there's misconceptions is people think that lungs are like a balloon where they're full of air, and as soon as you hit one, like it deflates it, like it pops it like a balloon, and that's like you're talking about with the different lobes and stuff. You, they still have a breathing capacity. Uh, yes, just they because do. You take one lobe out, like you're saying, maybe. I mean, that deer might not die. For a long yeah, time. or let's look at one lung shots or one lung levers. That was um, actually my next question: was one lung hits? <laughs> yeah, so one lungers they can live. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, so we we have to look at deer death, um, not on blood loss. Mm-hmm. So we've all been trained through you know give them the red carpet treatment and all these right, <laughs> right. all yep. these advertisements. Right. Yep. We've all been trained that the blood trail is the most important. That's not true. So we need to look at deer death, the science of deer death, not in blood loss, but in oxygen loss. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and, and they're they're one and the same kind of, but they're they're also equally different. Right. Um, so, 
if you think in terms of oxygen loss, yeah, blood loss can, if you lose enough oxygen through exsanguination, well, yeah, you're going to hit the ground. You're going to pass out on your feet before you breathe your last. Mm -hmm. Um, But same way with a pneumothorax, when you get that sucking wound, when you Mm -hmm. get that bilateral collapse of both lungs, and you get a through and through pass through, and that's what we all should be shooting through for is, mm-hmm. is pass through, pass throughs and not blood trails. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can collapse both lungs, he's going to run out there. He can't expand his lungs because atmospheric pressure is higher than intrathoracic pressure, and that the atmospheric pressure rushes into your thorax and it creates what old timers in the like the military used to call a sucking wound. Yep. Yep. It sucks those lungs down. He runs out there, he can't breathe, he gets woozy, he passes out, and then he dies. Mm-hmm. So that's that's oxygen loss. Now, if you hit one of the gray vessels, the aorta, the vena cavas, um, or the heart itself, you're getting both blood loss and that bilateral pneumothorax, that sucking wound, and mm-hmm. boy, then they're in really deep trouble. Right. But right. yeah, one-lungers, um, you know, if you get a one-lung liver, those deer can go all night. I've yep. seen it. Yep. We've all seen it. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, and if, if you're you're relying on, you know, one lung liver hit, you're relying on simple exsanguination. If you've got lung, one lung capacity that's still allowing you to breathe and oxygenate your bloodstream, that deer's going to be able to go. He's got four cylinders left on an eight-cylinder motor. Right, right. Um, he can still go, um, especially if you haven't clipped a great vessel or the heart. Um, but, uh, with a, with a liver hit, they, they bleed slow. And if you haven't hit a hepatic artery or a vena cava, they're a slow leaky bleed and they take forever. And, and in those cases there, um, they're tricky to track, not just because of, uh, the, the anatomy encountered, but you've got a tooth cavity hit. And I don't think people think about that. Like the diaphragm separates the thorax from the abdomen, right? Yep. So if your entry is high lung in the thorax through the diaphragm and low abdomen on the offside, well, then you've got this bilateral wound that's in two different cavities. Right. And that's why they make such a tricky tracking job. Yep. Because um, you're only bleeding out the abdominal cavity. Mm-hmm. And it's getting plugged up with omentum and and fat and stuff like that. It's just really, really tricky uh, to track those one-lungers. But, yeah, they can go all night. Yeah, I actually think the second buck that I shot last year, and, you know, Blake is just talking about the buck he shot this year and found. But the second one I shot last year, we didn't end up recovering it. But I'm confident that I hit lung, and I think I probably hit lung and liver, and he didn't bleed good, but... He, I mean, like you said, they can go such a long ways, and he got into stuff that was just so thick where he could have been dead in there. We never would have found him anyway, but I, I really think that's where I hit him. I think he eventually died, but like you're saying, it's not quick. No, it's slow. I um, That one I was telling you about that I decoyed, that non-typical, I shot him right at daybreak, um, just cracking daylight, beautiful, crystal clear morning, had, pl- you know, it was about – 20 minutes after legal light. And, um, you know, he was cornered to me just a little bit. He was walking right to left mm-hmm. and I didn't, my mind was seeing broadside, but he was really just a pinch quarter to, and I probably should have held on to it just a pinch longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was spazzed out. Um, and I, <laughs> as we get, and it, yeah, as we get. And I, 
I made the shot, and I, I definitely got entry lung, a good portion of entry lung, and, and it, the way it looked, I felt like it was definitely liver. So it was a 20-yard shot. It wasn't uh, wasn't far. Long and short of it, I I backed out. I left the stand at like a quarter to eight in the morning, mm-hmm. and I left him till I left him a full 12 hours, um, and he was – you know, we talked about it, you know, they take a while on, on one lung livers. Mm-hmm. He, he went about 180 yards tops and he yeah. bedded down into some super thick, like power line right away stuff that just yeah. a man can't walk through. Right? right. Right. And, um, he was, he had not rigored yet. Um, he was not stiff. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, we, I brought the, I brought a friend of mine, uh, Jonathan Beachy, who runs best yes. effort. Um, tracking service here yeah i saw that recently. yeah um he came and he came to help me find that deer um and that that good old dog walked right up to him it was yeah. great but if if, if you know i think people want to rush one lung liver hits mm-hmm. and, and don't that like I, I i see a lot of i see a lot of different information on one lung liver hits i, I see some places say four hours i see some places say six or eight um, I'm going 12 or 24 on them. No right. doubt about it. Yeah. We were talking me and Blake were actually just talking about this the other day. Like when you shoot one, unless you see him fall and die, if he's dead at hour one, he will be dead at hour four. You know, like if, he, if he's dead at hour six, he's going to be dead at hour 12. There's, especially if it's the temperature's fine. If you're, but like, if you're not sure at all, if you, there's any doubt at all, where you hit him, man, the the best bet is just to give him time because if you can let him die in that first bed, you your mm-hmm. yep. your success rate of recovery goes way up. You, you got to stop, you know. And I, I just know this from not only you know veterinary anatomy, but getting it wrong so many times right, when right. I was younger. Like yep. when I was younger, we would all like there'd be six or eight of us going in there and yeah. stomping the cr- I mean it was ridiculous yep. what we were doing making yep. racket like crazy so he can spook yeah, up about like, 100 yards what, away yeah what were we thinking right <laughs> right, right? Yep. And, and so getting it wrong multiple times trained me to like dude just back out mm-hmm. it, it's okay you don't have to be in no hurry here exactly mm-hmm. yep and, and, and we we've gotten it wrong enough to know that we don't want to get it wrong all the, you know, like we used to. Uh, yeah. And, and that just comes with experience. But, you know, if you're a new hunter and you're listening to the pod, like, just be patient. Mm-hmm. If, like you guys said, if, if he's if he's a goner at hour one, you can find him at hour 12. Yeah, yep. he's still going to be dead. Yeah. But, but if he's not dead at hour one, he might be dead at hour 12. But if you spook him, like if you jump him, man, it, the recovery rate goes <laughs> way down. Oh yeah, and and I've I've been there and done it. Yep, guilty. Yep. Guilty. Absolutely, and we all have. And that's how you learn, you know. Especially like you're talking about when you're kind of figuring out for yourself. If there's no one there to teach you, or no one there to tell you. And I think today is there's so much good content out there. Problem is there's a lot of bad too, and it's filtering through and finding it. But so hopefully for people like you said, young hunters listening to this, or you know people just starting out, hopefully this helps them. But when you yeah. don't have that, you. Sometimes you just got to screw up to figure things out. Yeah, I mean, we, none of us were born with the innate knowledge that we have now, right? right? Like, we right. all had to garner this somehow. I know and, some and, people who, have, <laughs> who are pretty <laughs> close. But, 
but it's not because they were born with a lot of knowledge. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but th- when it comes to like, when it comes to, tr- you know, on a track job, you know, I, you know, I, I think Jonathan probably hit on it. Um, if, if you've, if, if you're in the tree post shot mm-hmm. and you've got any doubts at all, get down, carefully inspect the arrow. If it's there, Yep. if not, lightly softly try and find first blood yeah yep and then back out yep and, and don't bring in six people with lights exactly. and stomp all over it and then go oh after two hours of searching maybe we should call the dog yeah no right don't do that it tracks his scent all over hell's half acre that away and scent of other deer and scent it's on your clothes and scent that you know just keep it simple. Simple for the dog means a good, simple track. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And one thing that he mentioned that even like to a seasoned hunter, uh, like that stuff seems like fairly obvious, right? Like if you think about tracking, you don't want all those scent trails in there and all that. But something he said that like I never really took into consideration and is pretty simple is like when you're tracking that thing, what do we all do? Like we walk right in the line where that deer went and we're looking at blood between our feet. Stay off the side. Just stay off to the side yeah. just a little bit and follow that blood trail. That way the dog doesn't have to sort through your scent and the deer scent. Like that was something he, yeah. he mentioned. I yeah. thought it was really interesting. Jonathan's a good houndsman. I'm, I'm like, he lives not, but, um, no, oh, maybe six, eight miles away from me here. Mm-hmm. And he's a, it's cool. Like I, I've watched him get his first dog and, and like become really seasoned and really good at it Yeah. from, from when he was really green and it, it, it's been cool to watch him learn it and watch his dogs learn it as well. Like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a pleasure dealing with, with those dogs. And another, that's another point I want to make. Don't just call the dog every time. Right. Like, right don't use the dog if you don't need him. But at the same time, those dogs do need experience. And if you watch a deer fall and you call your houndsman and he says, well, I'm not doing anything. Most of them will go, yeah, I'd go on a track. Right. Because it it's, especially if they've got younger dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm really glad that the state of Illinois has allowed trackers the, the ability to do so. Yes. Um, because it has helped me recover to, really good bucks that I, I probably never would have. And matter of fact, the, that non-typical over the decoy I told you about, mm-hmm. if I hadn't had a dog the very next morning after we drug that deer out from that power line right away, the very next morning they came in, the power line company came in with those big flail mowers and they would have smashed him. Oh man. Yeah. So like I'm super thankful that like, that trophy's on the wall and yep. that buck we finished the story yep. and it was all you know that dog really helped clean up my mess. Yeah, and they do. They're they work wonders. It's it's amazing what they what a good dog can do. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, you got anything else for him, Blake? No, he had everything I wanted to talk about. Awesome. We've <laughs> we've kind of covered a wide array of topics, which is awesome. It's always a joy talking to you, Clint. Um, they have a good time. It's nice to talk to somebody else from Southern Illinois too every now and then. Right on. <laughs> um, but you got anything else to leave them with before we get out of here? Oh, not much. Just have fun, man. Just everybody go out and have fun. Yep. That's what it's all about. And when you catch yourself not having fun, then it's too much like work. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, one plug, I wrote an article for um, North American Whitetail. It's in this month's issue, and I was really – I was, I was really proud of it because they actually gave me the cover for it as a feature article for the mag. And, and if, if you get it, um, check it out, read it. It's about how we can harness the power of testosterone mm-hmm. in a rutten buck and, and, you know, use it to our hunt advantage. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's some veterinary science in it and stuff like that. But when they, they called me and said, Hey, we're going to give you the cover for it. I was like, wow, that's, that's really special to me. Yeah. So, that's Check cool. that out. If you don't subscribe to it, do so. Um, still the best deal in all of hunting, like 12, 13 bucks. You can't buy a, you can't buy a meal for that anymore nowadays. <laughs> yeah. You can't go to McDonald's for that. <laughs> no doubt. Right. Yep. But yeah, and they, they even have it in digital format too, but I still yep. like getting in the mailbox, you know, like, I, I say the same thing. I've I got, love I've got like four of them laying around on the table right now in here, three of them. And then a whole pile of them underneath the desk over there. Cause you know, we, I think that's how kind of we hooked up in the first place is we go through some articles every now and then, and it's just nice to have it in your hand and be able to read it. And there's so much good information in them from guys like you that, you know, know what you're talking about. Yeah. I always wanted to be one of those guys, you know, back when I was a kid, I didn't really have a, anyone, like I didn't have a teacher. I just had an uncle said, well, here's a gun (laughs) and here's a tag and this is where you shoot them. Yep. Right. Uh, Okay. Yep. <laughs> but I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted more. Yep. Right. Yep. And North American whitetail was like the first magazine that my uncle had that I was kind of checking out. I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. And you'd see all them old, like the very first one, I still have it. The very first North American whitetail that I ever bought as a kid, it was 1991. It had Dick Idol on the cover with the big old sweet rut stash. Yeah, oh Yeah. And man, and Dick was a founder back in the day of, of North American. And, uh, I'm like, you know what? Every come around every rut now that I'm, I'm riding for him and, and hunting for him and such, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grow my rut stash out. And I got, <laughs> I, I, I saw that on the Instagram post. Dude, I, I got a it. hell of a, like I got a hell of a Dick <laughs> Idol rut stash going on right now. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. but that's just a throwback, man. It, it's, it's just, you know, just paying respect to the yep. old timers that I wanted to be like, when I was a kid growing up, I always used to look at those guys on the cover and go, you know, one of these days I want to be good like those guys. Yeah. And I don't know whether I'm good or not, but I'm, I'm good enough for government work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, you're, <laughs> we've read several of your articles on the podcast, and I read as many of them as I can when they come through, like you said, the mailbox. So you do a great job. Uh, we, I appreciate what you're doing, and I appreciate you coming on with us. And let, let people know sure. where they can find your Instagram and stuff too. Um, you know, it's just my name. Um, you can check me out. I actually have a YouTube channel, Deer Hunter DVM, mm-hmm. and just my uh, Facebook page, just my name. I do have a Deer Hunter DVM Facebook page, and um, uh, but you can check me out on, on Facebook and, and um, Instagram, just my name, Clint McCoy. For sure. Yep, I'll, I'll put all that stuff in the description, too, so if anybody's listening, wants to find it, wants to get some more content from Clint, you can do that as well, but... Uh, again, just yeah, really... send me some trophy photos there too, man. I love it. I love it when, when people are sending me those, those big rascals being knocked down this time of year. Absolutely. Hey, thanks again for coming on. I always appreciate you making the time and, uh, I'm sure we'll do it again. Sure thing guys. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. Yep.